Hey everybody, welcome to the Relax and Joy Health Podcast. I'm Andrew French and I'm your Optimal Health, Wellbeing and Balance Coach. This is episode number three where we talk to Richard Tricky Wheeler, who's the small business marketing consultant. Tricky used to be a personal trainer who specialised in fitness training specifically for mental health outcomes. Let's find out what Tricky's got for us today. Interrupted, rude. All right. <laughs> Tricky, thank you very much for coming on this morning with me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Awesome. So what have we got? We've got the small business marketing consultant. That is me. That's me now. That's you now. You spent 10 years in fitness. You helped people train for mental health outcomes. And uh, your health is a very key element of your personal business drive. So who are you and what do you do? Right. So like you said, I am the small business marketing consultant. Um, I mostly deal with direct response copy. That's what I do. That's what I'm passionate about. But I figured out uh, a while back that a lot of people get into small business because they have a passion for something. They're absolutely crazy about it. And they're like, right, I want to share this thing that I'm great at, that I'm passionate about with the world. And then when they start their business, they discover that sharing it with the world actually only represents like a tiny little part of what their business is. And the rest of it is things like bookkeeping and marketing the thing they're passionate about. And most people in their right mind don't care too much about that. They don't care too much about marketing. They're not actually interested in it. And as a result, they know a lot more about their passion than the marketing of their small business. So I found I was going in to write copy for people and I'd be asking them about their funnel, about their customer journey. And they'd go, I don't know. So I started doing more and more of that and less and less of the copy until I got all of that stuff sorted. So, uh, it ended up it ended up taking a big chunk of my time. I was like, well, that needs to be a part of my business as well. So that's what I do now. I am a marketing consultant. I get people's uh, I get people's funnels sorted, and I write high converting direct response copy for them. But that's not really what we're talking about today, is it? Well, you know what? I don't care if we get sidetracked because, as I've had a small business, and I can tell you now, like. As a chef for 30 years, it's every every man's dream to have his own little small business and everything. And so my wife and I did have a restaurant called Someplace Nice, and which was fantastic from a marketing perspective because, you know, all the adverts on the radio, where are you taking me? Someplace Nice. Why won't you let me know what it is? I'm taking you someplace nice. You nice. just won't tell me. So <laughs> I absolutely loved it. It was hilarious. But I can tell you now. From a mental health perspective, no one warns you, no one tells you, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And in my opinion, mental health is just our ability to deal with what life throws us. And uh, small business throws you a lot every day. It's a roller coaster. And the funny thing is, I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is that they assume that your mental health will be directly proportionate to whether or not there are positive or negative things going on within your life or your business. And I actually don't think that's always true. I think that quite often you will be um, having a whole bunch of wins in your business and you'll be having a really shit day. Or you'll be struggling and you'll be pushing water uphill, but you'll be absolutely fine with it. There's, it's not necessarily uh, directly correlatory, you know? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're right. Exactly right. So we started out. So for 10 years, you were in the health and fitness industry, and you said you were actually training people for mental health outcomes. So tell, well, tell us about that. Okay. <laughs> That might be a slightly grand way of expressing it, and I realise that you're parroting it's my words. Sound, it sounds amazing. <laughs> well, so the thing is, actually just training produces very positive mental health outcomes. So the idea that I had some secret way to bench press that made you happy inside your head is not actually true. That wasn't... Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was very much my... Uh, my process because i okay we probably need to go back further 
than uh, where I'm starting right here. Um, I was 10 years in the media industry. I, I was in, probably not 10 years. Anyway, I was in television for a long time. Um, and I did a lot of sitting around. There was a lot of, I was a heavy smoker. There was a booze culture, a lot of drugs flying around, all of that kind of stuff. And I indulged the way young people do, you know, it was all a long time ago. Back then I was young and I just, you know, hoovered up whatever was available at the time. And, um, after a few years, it started to have a fairly kind of negative effect on me and it was all, um, it was all piling up and I got to my late twenties and I realized that I had to take some charge, you know, get, get in control of what was going on in my life. So that was the first time I started to take exercise really seriously. And I started lifting weights. I started going out running. I started doing boxing, martial arts, that kind of thing. Um, and I realized that actually, if I did all of that stuff quite regularly, I didn't need all of the things that I'd been using to, augment my happiness if you like i just woke up more level every day instead of constantly chemically trying to find a balance yeah you know um so that got me interested in exercise for mental health outcomes and so i got qualified i got into fitness i started training clients but at the time so we're talking maybe 2009 2010 and at the time there was two big things it seemed like going on in the fitness industry there was bodybuilding or crossfit you were mostly one or the other you know i know yeah of course there were power lifters but you know they they were off hidden in some gym That's in the well, corner they don't, they don't they don't need coaches yeah. they know what they're doing don't talk to them <laughs> there were power lifters but we don't talk about them <laughs> it's exactly what it's like the meatheads <laughs> So, yeah, it was, it seemed to be like, you know, there was bodybuilding where you were training specifically for the outcome of having larger muscles than the guy you're standing next to, or there was CrossFit, which kind of dubbed itself functional. You know, you were training for everyday life. If everyday life was keeping pull-ups and kettlebell swings. Except, well, and out to kill you. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing is, at, at that time, we had a massage studio and we had so many CrossFit clients. It was the best thing ever. It was such a moneymaker. Yeah. Training for real life if real life is extended visits to the physio. That's exactly it. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So um, I came in and I was saying, you know, like, I, I guess a lot of what I did was bodybuilding type protocols, but not with the specific goal of um, packing on massive amounts of muscle. You know, it was more about keeping your body composition under control, because that is a factor that, you know, there's a lot of correlations between uh, high body fat and mental health issues and that kind of thing. But everything I did was geared towards positive mental health outcomes. You know, that was my it's like when you're programming for anything. Are you programming for fat loss, muscle gain? Are you programming for uh, endurance or sports-specific outcomes? I was programming specifically for what would make people feel like they were in better control of their lives and happier. Excellent. Steph, I mean, the better the better control thing, absolutely amazing. Just uh, I found my client niche, they sort of came and found me. It was all the 40-year-old uh, the women who all of a sudden realize that, uh, you know, their life is controlled for them. They go, they have to work a full day at work. They have to go home. They have to deal with the kids. They have to make dinner. They have to make sure the kids do the homework. Then maybe at 9.30 at night, they get to sit down with the, and the husband gives them the controller and says, did you want to watch your show? And uh, all of a sudden they realize that no one was opening the door for them anymore. No yeah. one looked at them like the girl they used to be. They remembered you know, going to volleyball, they remembered netball, they remembered being the girl that people would, you know, you know, treat as a woman and stuff. And now they're just the mother, the wife, the spouse. And so when I was training, it was primarily to, you know, get rid of the baby chunk that is no longer can be classed as baby weight, because that was 11 years ago. So, you know, so they, they, they're just trying to get back to who they wanted to be. And in actual fact, they were just trying to find themselves again because they'd lost themselves in that identity of mother or wife. And, you know, and so 
definitely the mental health outcome for them that was the biggest thing other than you know the text message where you go this shit's really working but you know all of a sudden they could keep up it with when they go on holidays and pull themselves out of the pool just being able to pull yourself up onto the side of the pool and they just thought that was the best thing ever and i'd get messages just with that it's funny, isn't it? The, the little things that turn out to be huge wins for your client that you just, you wouldn't have picked it, you know, you wouldn't have gone. But uh, yeah, I remember a guy coming up to me and going, my golf game's really improved. And I was like, uh, good. And it wasn't until he specifically said, no, I'm sure it's because I've been training with you. I'm like, okay. Wouldn't have seen that coming in any way, you know? Um, and uh, a lady I worked with in my very early days as a coach, said that she ran with her grandkids to the bus stop one day and she was like she was a lady in her 50s and she ran with her grandkids to the bus stop and she was like i, I haven't done that in years and i was like yeah, it was a tiny little thing you know she'd run like 100 meters or something but for her it was huge yeah that's exactly but right what constitutes a win is is a really big deal in the eyes of your client but it's not something that you would necessarily pick but um at the time when I was when I was marketing myself, if you could call it that, eleven years ago, part of the reason I ended up getting into marketing was because um, I figured out fairly quickly I didn't know a damn thing about it and started finding out more about it. Um, it became like a nerdy little obsession for me. But yeah, when I was marketing myself back then, I got looked at really weird for saying I wanted to train people for mental health outcomes. You know, especially you get into you get into a gym full of meatheads. And you say, like, I want to train people for mental health outcomes because I had my own mental health struggles. They start backing away. They're like, yeah. maybe the conversation's different these days. Like I said, I'm talking about a long time ago now. But um, even, yeah, back then, it was like, well, hang on, is he nuts? Like, is he going to go crazy and start throwing shit around? Or, like, that's exactly right. The, 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 the whole term of mental health really, yeah, we're looking 10 years ago was mm. it was negative you couldn't possibly because if you were depressed it's like pull yourself together get your shit together i mean man up i can you man up and that's the horrible thing is you, you get to the point in your life where everyone's just like be a man you know and it's mm. just number one no one really explains to you what a man actually is no. you know in that day and age because it was all you know just go out mow the lawns do all the the stunt housework so that uh, you know, you have anything that required a ladder, I'm your guy. But then shit goes sideways. And I remember there's been times in my life where you wake up, you enter the shower, you, you start with your head against the wall, and then you end up on all fours, you know, just either vomiting into the drain because you just, you can't face the day. Or, you know, you just... It takes you 45 minutes just of water hitting you and people are pounding on the door because they want the bathroom and you've just got to knuckle up, pull it in, hide it all, and yeah. then you've got to go out and perform like a little monkey. Yeah, and absolutely. No one had that understanding. No, no, no one talked about it. It was, you know, I like there was a period in my life there before I started cleaning myself up where I would wake up every day and I would start the day either by sitting and crying for an hour or by going straight outside and smoking a joint, you know, like either way, that's not terribly healthy. Is it? I mean, that's well, it's, we, what are we, uh, we're, we're hiding. We, you know, we do it with Facebook. We do it with, uh, we're just pushing down emotions. You know, we, some people do it with sex. Some people do it with alcohol. Some people do it with, you know, the comedians, the biggest, you know, rate of depression is amongst comedians. And, you know, chance that we try and be funny because we don't want to be punched in the face. You know? right. <laughs> That's it. So with when you started training in that in that kind of way and you were looking at the mental health outcomes, what did you see? I mean, your clients would have come to you for fat loss. They would have come for you for muscle gain and stuff. But what did you actually see their biggest struggles were in that, those areas? Well, okay, so this is probably, I think there's a lot of facets to this. There's a lot of different angles to it. But um, I don't want to do the fitness industry down or anything like that, but I think that it can be as toxic as it is helpful, you know? So um, 
there was a lot of uh, people would come to me because they'd got this idea that something wasn't right in their life. They were looking at themselves in the mirror and they weren't a cover model. And there was a solution to that. And that solution was going to the gym. You know, and of course, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, there's, um, you, I mean, I knew people who went to the gym every day who would sit on the rower for half an hour, watching the overhead TVs, just moving slowly, you know, and then they'd be like, well, I go to the gym every day, you know, I'm not getting the results I want. I mean, but in their marketing, gyms not tend, tend not to mention that stuff, you know, that like actually you have to put in the work regardless. Yeah. And um, the funny thing is, if you put in the work, you don't necessarily need to be going to a gym. It's right for some people and it's great for some people, but it's not necessarily right for everybody. So people would come in and the first thing that I would notice, because I wasn't, I didn't grow up playing lots and lots of sports and always being physically active and, all, you know, I heard towards the getting stoned and listening to Led Zeppelin kind of thing. You know, I was um, a lot more interested in sitting down. It was much later that I came to physical activity. Yeah. And I identified a lot of people who were like me, who weren't really necessarily, you know, they hadn't grown up in a culture of physical activity. And probably the place they needed to start was just going for a walk. You know, it was actually, again, it was as much a mental health thing rather than going into a loud place full of metallic clanking weights, full of buff gym bodies, full of people that felt they were nothing like them. What they needed was a bit of clarity and distance and some physical exercise. Yeah. Just going for a walk would have been great. Finding a park and going for a walk in that park would have been great for them. It would have been better for both their physical health outcomes, their long-term adhesion to some kind of exercise program, and their mental health outcomes to go for a walk. But if somebody's just joined your gym, you can't tell them that. That's that's so true because you know people it's it's amazing like the people in the gym you can't talk to them about anything you can't you know hey i'm working out here and uh, you know so whether it's the girls especially nowadays gyms gyms nowadays seem to be the in-person personification of tinder so the girls are there they've got their full they've got their full face on yep. and the boys are there they've got their full muscular t-shirts on the you know everyone's working working out like that no one's really interested in bettering themselves other than yeah. to be able to be attractive to the opposite sex that seems to be the attraction for gyms at the moment so well i mean okay so i'm probably out of the loop because i have a gym set up in my garage and that's where i train now so it's actually been been like four years or something since i've been inside a commercial gym really for like yeah um but yeah there there is there's been an agenda of some kind that isn't always aligned with uh mental health outcomes or with getting people started with the best possible uh protocols in the beginning you know exactly. and that was awkward for me because i did want to train people in the gym the gym helped me massively you know I, I did go out for walks, but I also lifted weights. I also went running. I also did martial arts. Um, that all helped me massively. But there were people who were obviously and demonstrably uncomfortable in the environment who needed a bit of a lead up before they started trying things like lifting weights, which can be massively scary for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. They still needed to be doing something, you know? There's, it, it was like, lifting weights was like flying a jumbo jet you know you don't just jump in and start doing it because it's your best solution you for, you need some lead up you need some work you need to you know you might start with a cessna then move up to something bigger you know before you try a 747 you know what i mean exactly yeah yeah so that was awkward but of course you know i was a trainer in a gym and that gym was designed to make money and all the marketing around the fitness industry was telling people, if you are not happy with yourself, the solution is to pay money to join the gym. The solution is to pay money for these supplements. The solution is to pay money for this gym gear. 
you know? So people would go out, they're like, right, I'm not happy with myself. They drop $500 before they've ever actually done a lick of exercise, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, that's one thing I found, like uh, like doing fly in and fly out. I thought, you know, that's it. I'm going to get myself a gym, gym membership for when I'm home. So I actually mm -hmm. started emailing all the gyms. And if someone got back to you, yeah, it would be with your price per week. And it's just like, okay, that's fantastic. But I do FIFO. I'm only here once every three weeks. So, you know, so, so to be, it's $20 a week. How much is it going to be for, okay, so no worries. So because you do FIFO, you're only going to be here every third week. Uh, we'll do that for 17. It's just like, okay, that, it doesn't really seem. Yeah. You know, good. And they were like, well, that's the deal, mate. And that's, they, they just want people to walk in the door, give them the money, not ask any questions. There's absolutely, it's almost like there's no onboarding process. I mean, I remember the work I had to do as a personal trainer to get people. I had to physically ring them. I, I had spreadsheets with everyone who I'd called before, who I hadn't got through to, people who were hot leads, people who were warm leads, people who were cold leads. Okay, people who have had the... You know, they've come through, they've had my four free PT sessions, they weren't real keen on it, so now I'm going to try and move them into the group fitness. You know, so the amount of work you had to do. And then when, so I had 80 phone calls to get four appointments, um, one of which was a no-show. Um, yeah. One, it was perfect for them, couldn't afford it. Two would sign up, one would cancel after a month, and one would actually be a client. So I would get one physical client out of 80 phone calls, and the whole process is you have to sit them down and they don't teach you, you know, as a personal trainer, they teach you, okay, if they lift this and they put that down, this muscle is going to get bigger. And that's all they taught you. Whereas all of a sudden you had to learn all these different marketing principles. You yeah. had to, you had to learn um, NLP and everything, get them sitting down. We're having a fun we're having a fun time here talking together about your application process on the couch. We're really, really enjoying each other's company. Yes, I got you to giggle. Fantastic. Where do you live? Oh, when you train here, that's going to be really easy for you. And you start making, you know, you start making the positive links for them. Like the assumptive clothes kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. And then you take them, you smash them to show them what it's like. They've got no blood left in their brain. You bring them back to the couch. The only thing they've got left is the animal instinct of this guy's really, really nice. It's really friendly on this couch. We had a great time. And yeah, of course I'll sign because this seems like a great idea. And you had to trick people into doing what was good for them. And that did not sit well with me as a personal trainer or as a person. And But that was what you had to do yeah. to get people to make such a... Because personal training is a massive step for people rather than just going to a normal gym. And you're right. No one teaches you about marketing. No one teaches you about anything that you need to do to actually get people to know you, trust you, like you, yeah. and uh, everything like that. But I had to convince myself I was doing that for their greater good as a person because I know it's going to be fantastic for them. Well, look, okay, so... I, I'm I'm kind of I'm one foot in, one foot out with what you're saying there because sometimes people do need a nudge to do what's best for them. Like they want the outcome that you're offering. Exactly. Right? They, they they are looking at you and they're going, I do want the results that he's talking about. And a lot of the time with sales and with marketing, it's not about convincing them that they want the results. It's about convincing them to like and know and trust you enough to get on board with you being the person to get them the results. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that there's an element of, um, of you, you are going to need to do some work with them and you are going, sometimes you do need to not so much trick people, but let people trick themselves into it, you know, cause they're yeah. terrified of taking that jump and you just, need to convince them that actually 
the first step is not that scary. And then once you've taken that first step, the second step doesn't have to be that scary and so on and so on. One of the first things that I did when I started learning about sales and marketing was I stopped doing taster sessions. I stopped doing any kind of free trial. I was like, right, you come with me. We will sit down for an hour and we will talk. But I'm not going to give you any kind of free trial session because there's two kinds of people. There's people who love exercise sessions and they already know what that feels like. And there's people who are going to hate an exercise session, especially if you smash them. And it's not helping them to get that kind of preview before they've actually taken the jump. Exactly. You know, so I stopped doing those very quickly. It just wasn't, um, it wasn't a helpful part of the process to give somebody a taster session. It was a lot more useful to sit down with them, take a bit of time talking about what had worked for them in the past, what hadn't worked for them, what their goals were in the future, what their nutrition looked like. That was all a lot more helpful. And then sit down and build a roadmap for them and say, look, whether you sign up with me or not, these are the steps you need to be taking to achieve the outcomes that you want. Yeah, that's awesome. I can help you get there. It worked so much better. And I went from, I went from, with the people I actually sat down with, I went from like, you know, maybe a 20% close rate to an 80 or 90% close rate. Now, admittedly, there was still a lot of dropouts before in the lead up to, you know, from the, you start with, like you say, your spreadsheet of 80 names, you only get a few of those to the meeting, but um, yeah, the close rate went up. Yeah, that's awesome. So with, um, so we're going with the mental health side of things, we've got the client's biggest struggle. How did you, so you've got, once you've got your client, Mm-hmm. How did you actually well, determine, you know, your training for your mental health outcomes? So if you've got them in just as a normal session. So one thing I would find is I would actually assess with the client. You sort of assess how they are in the waiting room, how they are on the walk to the to my little studio. Mm-hmm. And I actually had times where it's just like, you know what, Sophie, today we turn the lights off in the gym. We're just shutting it down. You and I we're just going for a walk, mate. And and she'd be like, what? And then all of a sudden they just start talking. And then this is bothering them, that's bothering them, and that. And being there just as an ear to listen. Like there there were some days just like, sweetheart, we're not training today. You're not in the headspace for it. And let's just just go for a walk. And I'd just lock the door. And we'd just go for the walk for the hour. So that was better for them than actually going to train. So how did you find that? I I found a similar kind of thing. Like I said, you know, I I was working as a trainer in gyms that were owned and operated by other people. So if somebody had joined a gym, I was required by their business model to demonstrate that the gym was part of that solution, you know? I couldn't be encouraging people to do things that weren't directly related to the gym. So I actually made a point of um, making time outside of the gym. Mm -hmm. So I would have catch up meetings with clients, but I would do it on a walk. So does that make sense? So like, I wouldn't necessarily, um, I wouldn't say, no, we're not doing this session. I was lucky, actually. The gym I trained at for a period of time had an outdoor section that a lot of people didn't go to. Yeah. Um, so it tended to be quite quiet. So I could go down to that, and it would be a bit more peaceful than the um, than the weights room, you know, where there's a lot of clanking and grunting and what have you. Exactly. So did you ultimately, did that enable them to be able to help themselves? Well, so yeah, again, being when it was, I suspect that if I was doing now what I was doing then, I would get more people who would come in and specifically say, I am here first and foremost to address my mental health. What I found at the time was, and even the truth is it was the same for me as well. People would look in the mirror and they would be unhappy with what they saw. You know, they would see red bloodshot eyes, they would see overweight, they would see sickly pallor, and they would go, I need to do something about this. 
this, my reflection, is making me really unhappy. When the truth is, that's probably us about face. It was more like they were really unhappy, so they weren't motivated to do anything, and that was creating an issue with their reflection. But it wasn't until, I know that for me, it wasn't until I was a few months into trying to rectify all of those things that I realized I was training for my mental health first and for my physical health as a function of that. Mm -hmm. And it all changed my motivation. I don't like to use the word motivation because I think, you know, like small business mental health, it's kind of a roller coaster thing, you know, you, you, but you need to have the habit regardless. Um, but you know, I, I, I built that habit and I found my motivation around all things increased. And I think a lot of people were doing the same thing. You know, we live in a world where we are bombarded by beautiful images, images of beautiful people, movie stars, cover models, whatever. And we look in the mirror and we go, I do not match up to all of this that I'm seeing. And that makes me unhappy when in fact, a lot of the time it is the other way around. You know, it's the, the unhappiness actually predates the concern about whether or not we look like how we're supposed to look. Now you yourself, how did you find, was there a, was there a particular pivotal moment where you decided your, this is not good. I need to do something. There were probably lots of them, like over the years. I've, I do remember standing in front of the mirror one day and just going, this has to change now. But I don't think that was the only thing. I, I think there were lots of times when I went, hang on, you know, I'm, I'm not in control of anything here. I've got a job I hate. I'm in an unhappy home situation. I've got like literally everything in my life is happening without my intervention, you know? And what is it? They talk, they talk about the, the locus of control. You know, there's like, the, these are the things that I can control. These are the things that I can't control. And I need to start with these things. Yeah. And, um, so that was what I did. I started looking at what I could change, but, I don't know that there was one single kind of dramatic aha moment. I think there were there were many, many of them where I just found myself going like, "This is like, th this is a problem, and it's a problem that's escalating." But like everybody, I feared taking any sort of action because it meant confronting the things that I was putting a lot of time and effort into hiding from. And it meant confronting them without any of the crutches that I used to hide from them. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's a terrifying prospect, mm, you know, nice. coming coming face to face with your fear. Mm. But uh, the one thing I love is fear is like that big junkyard dog, you know, and, and, and actually you just, if you don't face it, it'll follow you everywhere. And it'll always be at your heels. It'll always be, you know, nipping at you or barking at you and everything. But then that moment you decide to turn around that face, that fear, all of a sudden it's just like the dog's just like, oh, yeah, no, I, I don't want a part of this. And it will it actually... turns out to be a West Highland Terrier. Exactly. They're, for some reason, they think they're a Rottweiler. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then they'll just turn around and all of a sudden they're the ones with their head down looking sideways going, oh, I'm, yeah, nah, and, and then they'll sort of give you a little bit of a huff as they turn around and trot away and wee on something. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like we have to face our fears and that in itself is just a terrifying prospect to start with. But then you, you just, there's that point, you know, you're just like, I've got to do something, you know what? this stops, you mm. know, and you make that turn, which, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And you said there was just like a little bit, a myriad of steps rather than one aha mm. moment. So it was just one thing yeah. after another. I'm pretty sure that if ever I wrote about it, there was some kind of dramatic moment where, you know, you could, all, you could almost put it in a movie where I just looked in the mirror or I just had this moment where my life turned on a dime, you know, but yeah. the reality is it wasn't, it was, it was years in the making. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I kind of came up with this notion that I probably needed to be doing something many years before I actually did anything and it percolated, you know? So, All right. Yeah. So, you know, if you had your own hero's journey, what would, what would you say it would be to, to get you where you are now? So you, you basically sedated your way through your younger years. Hmm. Okay. Th right. <laughs> There's one thing. Um, I'm a music nerd. I mentioned Led Zeppelin early on. Yeah. You know, that. Um. But I'm I'm a massive music nerd, and most of my teens were defined by the discovery of marijuana and the effect it had on listening to music for me. And, you know, I, I went right back from the stuff that was big in the 90s that, that I was listening to, the contemporary stuff, right back to kind of the 1950s, listened to this huge variety of music and got absolutely fascinated with what was going on within it kind of thing, you know, that I, I felt like there was uh, particularly the stuff from the 60s, like Pink Floyd and The Doors and that kind of thing, where I felt like they were striving for some experience that taught them something about the world that most people didn't understand. Um, and I was fairly convinced for a long time that I, I think the, the first time I got stoned, I saw or felt or experienced something that was like, wow, okay, everything I've known up to this point has been just a tiny little nugget of reality. And I realized there's so much more out there that I need to embrace and discover. And um, it was best part of 10 years later, what I actually realized was that it was like looking at a brochure for a holiday. You know, and like, oh, that looks nice. You know, it looks nice. They got some beds. They got a, a free bar. They got you know, nice restaurants and whatever. But getting stoned again didn't get me any closer to going on that holiday. It actually just gave me another look at the brochure. Except this time there was less pages in it. You know, and every time I got stoned subsequent to that, and every time I tried something new, and every time I I, I tried to take another step towards this thing that I was looking for, I was actually getting further away from it. In order to find it, I needed to put it all down and go out and experience the world because that was the only thing that was going to give me a greater understanding of where I was and what I was living in. Okay. I'm sorry, what was the question? For <laughs> <laughs> well, ultimately, you think, so... Let's say what happened to get you where you are now. So what, all right, so that was there a time when you actually decided, okay, that is now going to be put aside? Yeah, oh, right, hang on, yes, sorry. That's where the music threads tied in. So a lot of my heroes died at 27. Yeah. So um, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, um, Jimi Hendrix, a lot of these musical heroes died at 27 years old and right up until I was 27 years old I think I had it in the back of my mind that I probably wouldn't live much past about 27 years old mm -hmm. um and I got to that point I certainly wasn't you know I, I was not uh I was not planning for a long life necessarily and then I got to 27 years old and I was like there's nothing romantic about this. You know, there's nothing, uh, I haven't achieved a great deal. I haven't released an album of music. I haven't written my great novel. I haven't left any enduring legacy in the world, but I am fat and I'm sick and I'm miserable. And when I look at it now, all of those people that died died in a singularly unromantic way you know i was just it was just this assumption that i would that i would be dead at that point but i'd got no legacy to leave and then i started looking at the details you know whether it was a heroin overdose or whether they choked on their own vomit or they went into the room above their garage and blew their head off like none of that was terribly romantic or cool when you actually looked at the nuts and bolts of it yeah 
and they all had this amazing legacy of work to leave behind them and I had nothing either way and I was like well hang on a minute if I am going to die which at some point I will whether I'm 27 or 107 I should be working on having done something while I was alive that was actually worth experiencing whether I leave a great legacy behind me or not I should have at least gone out and experienced the world and that ties back to what I was saying where I was convinced I was chasing some greater understanding of the world by sitting in a darkened room somewhere, sticking on dark side of the moon and smoking a couple of joints. Okay, so what what changed? So you went from, you had that realisation and the things had to change. So in your life, what changed? So you've moved into the, the health and fitness area? Well, so that didn't happen all at once. Obviously, you know, I didn't get up one day and decide that I was going to be a fitness coach. It was more that the first thing I did was just start going out for walks. That was all I did. And I think that's why I identified that in some people who later became clients that one of the things they needed to do was just be going out for walks because that cleared their headspace as much as it did offer them some kind of physical outcome. Yeah. But, you know, I went out for walks, and I've never been a runner. I'm actually still not really a runner. Like, it wasn't something that um, it wasn't something that uh, appealed to me or interested me. I enjoyed the lifting of the weights and the martial arts a lot more. But I was like, well, I should try running, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. something that people who do, who get the kind of outcomes I want sometimes do. So I started giving that a shot. I think I got to about like, you know, a 7K run was about as much as I ever really got to the point of wanting to do. Yeah. Um, I could do that in about 40 minutes. I could stick some headphones in. That was one album of music. It was always good, you know, so I could do that. But anything more than about 40 minutes or 7Ks and I just lost interest. And even that, it took a long time to build up to it. But, um, yeah, the first thing I did was just going out for a walk. I joined. I tried to join gyms before, but I was the guy who would step out of the gym and immediately light a cigarette. You know, so I was yeah, I was not taking it seriously. But I joined the gym again and I started lifting weights. Um, and I just found it snowballed. You know, rather than I in the beginning, I thought maybe going out for a walk wasn't enough. And of course, long term, big picture, maybe it wasn't. But it was a hell of a great start. But instead of lambasting myself going, like, you're not doing enough, you've got all these years of self-damage to make up for, I just considered it the first step, the first building block in what was ultimately going to be a very big structure. Right. So essentially it's almost like the uh, habit stacking. You just started with one thing. You just started with going for walks. Then You know what's funny is if I had known that expression back then, whatever it was 15 years ago, it would have done me a lot of good because I did beat myself up for not doing enough when all I was doing was going out for walks. Giving up smoking didn't happen all at once. That took a bit of time, you know. Giving up drinking didn't happen all at once. It took time. Now, so this is anyone can change these behaviours. It's not like you're a superhuman or anything like that. You're just a normal everyday person. What makes you different to change your negative patterns to get you to this point today? Um, well, that's the thing. I am not different. And I worked with a lot of people over the years who um, had the, the same kind of journey that I did after getting started. You know, And it wasn't really... It was... That was the big thing was even though I felt like I wasn't doing enough or I was doing it wrong or maybe I was kidding myself, I kept going with the habits anyway. You know, when I when I felt like I wasn't really, like I was the imposter in the gym, I think everyone's gotten that at some point, haven't they? Where they go in and, and they go like, I don't belong here. All of these other people, they belong here, but I don't. But I just kept doing it anyway. And it was about, it wasn't about being motivated. It was just about having the habit. Yeah, the habit is, it's very, very important, just making habit. And the whole thing is just starting. Just start, just make a decision. Just doing something. That's right. Doing one thing and tomorrow do one thing plus maybe one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it took a long time. I didn't get like, you know, I... 
it's not fair to say that I went to the gym once and I came out and I was a changed and happy person. Um, and it wouldn't be fair to say that, um, that any of it just came naturally or, or that I even did it because I had any kind of special difference to anybody else. None, yeah. it, none of it was about that. Um, it just, yeah, it just, I reached a point where I was like, well, I had examples of people in my life who weren't taking any kind of responsibility for what was going on in their world. And they weren't getting the outcomes they wanted in any corner of their life. And I just reached a point where I was like, well, that's me too. You know, I am yeah. like them. All of the things that I see in other people that I'm like, well, why are they doing that if this is what they want? That was me as well. Okay. So who have you become now in that regard? In the health and fitness, what do you have daily rituals? Do you have habits? Where, where are you at nowadays? So I'm not one. I have two small children. Um, they're six and nine. So in terms of like morning rituals or that kind of thing, I get out to the garage and I lift weights a few days a week, but all that, you know, spend half an hour meditating, do your journaling, do your gratitude, do your self-talk, do your exercise. I, what I actually do is normally spend half an hour arguing with a smaller version of myself about how to correctly use the toilet. So that's my morning ritual. Um, but it's still different. I actually have something that, you know, when, when I wake up in the morning, I'm glad to be doing what I do. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I do, my life has more structure. I was a great believer in not scheduling much into my life and just seeing where the world took me. And yeah. then after years of doing that, I discovered that when you don't schedule much in, the world doesn't take you anywhere. It was it was all very um ethereal, you know. I'll just go with the breeze, I'll see what happens. It was very zen and it turned out there was no real breeze. So um yeah, I have I have more of a structure these days, but it's try not to forget that you're talking to a middle-aged marketing consultant right now. So if I were to tell you what my day involved, anyone listening to this would almost certainly just fall asleep. Like it's, it's, I wake up, I have some coffee, I do some exercise, I get my kids ready for school, I walk, for the, I walk them to school, I sit down and I work until it's time to pick my kids up from school. Yeah. Is, is anybody still awake? I don't know, you all right, you still there? It's so I, yeah, my, my life and my day has a lot more structure, but I don't think there's any great secret to my, uh, to, to my routine or anything like that. I'd love, I'd love to share the million dollar secret, but I haven't found it yet either. <laughs> I just said, I just had my work send me a text. I want me to go and forklift the the fruit and veg truck off in about 20 minutes. Right. So, okay. uh, all right. So nutritionally, how do you give yourself the best chance of success? Um, by not overthinking it. Yeah. Like to begin with, I don't, I don't have any kind of diet that fits into any sort of box. So, you know, I'm not paleo or keto or vegan or anything like that. You know, I, um, I eat plenty of green vegetables, but you know, if you're making three meals a day, then it's quite easy to eat lots of green vegetables. As long as you remember to put some on your plate with every meal. Um, it's, but if I want to eat something that I just simply enjoy, then I do like, it's not, you know, food. I, I've always liked food. I've always liked cooking. So if I, want to just eat something because it's delicious, then I do. And I don't worry too much about it because I know that most of my meals, like typically in the morning I'll have an omelet, like, and I'll have like some spinach and some mushroom in that omelet. So that's two serves of vegetables with breakfast. You know, I'm already doing, I'll, I'll snack on fruit, 
I'll have something else with some veggies in for lunch. So what is it? It's like five to seven serves a day. By the time lunch rolls around, I've probably already eaten five serves of fruit and vegetables. So whatever I have for dinner is only has to have one or two more veggies in it. And I, yeah. I've pretty much got, you know, a range of, I, so again, this is kind of a hard one. I'm not trying to be mercurial here, but I actually don't have, I, in fact, I actively mistrust people who have very simple solutions to nutrition. Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm probably, if I was coaching someone through it, it would be very different. You know, when I was when I was coaching people with nutrition, I would be a lot more granular with it. But um, when with me, I find I don't have to think about it too much. When I was when I was talking to people. When I had clients and I was, obviously I don't do the coaching anymore, but when I had clients, I would start at where they were and be like, right, okay, these are the outcomes you want. This is where we're working towards. What are you eating now for breakfast, lunch, dinner? In fact, actually, this is a good marketing tip. Um, when I sat down and did my uh, hour-long consults with people, one of the things that I used to do was when I first made the appointment with them, I would get them to keep a nutrition diary. So I'd be like, you know, when you're talking about your list of 80 people yeah, and you would make appointments with some of them and some of them would be no-shows. The first thing I'd do when, I, when, when I'm making the appointment, I'd be like, right, okay, um, our appointment is Monday next week. I'm going to email you a template and I want you to fill it in a three-day nutrition diary between between now and then. So you go fill that in and bring it to me on the day and we'll have a look at what you're eating now and what we could change about it. What was great about that was it gave me an insight into their nutrition, but it also gave them homework, which meant they were far more likely to keep the appointment. No, that's really awesome. Keeps it in the forefront of their mind, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Which has nothing at all to do with the question you asked, but you know, it just seemed like a good thing to share. But it's good. I mean, nutritionally, how do you give yourself the best chance of success? But also, you've already given people a tip on what they can do for the best chance of success. Mm. You know, and you've spoken. You've you've got small children in, so all of a sudden, you've got to you're teaching people how to eat as well. You're teaching little people, which is also going to affect what you can actually eat and do. And I love the way you yeah. say you fight with a small version of yourself. <laughs> You know, which is amazing. So, you know, family and friends, your social network, how does that affect you mental health-wise? I mean, children, it's a negative and a positive at the exact same time. Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, these days, like, my friends have been curated according to who I am now, but there was certainly a period of time where everybody knew me as a guy who liked to drink as a guy who'd probably got a bag of weed in his pocket, as a guy who liked, you know, a crazy night out that you couldn't remember a lot of the details of. And when I started changing, you know, there was a lot of people who were like, well, hang on, what do you mean you don't do this anymore? You know? Yeah. So you do go through that. Some people accept that. Some people don't. Some people find that it... They, they feel like it reflects poorly on them somehow, so they distance yeah. yourself from you or they get angry with you. You know, there was a, there was a lot of different... I, I always tried not to be pious about it because I didn't feel like it made me any better that I was trying to get myself healthy. Yeah. It was just a different journey that I had started. I actually still fully support... If somebody wants to do something like spend their entire life stoned, that's their choice. Like I, I don't necessarily have any issue with it. They've just like everything. You've got to accept the outcomes that come with it. But my circle of friends now understand that that's who I am and that's what I do. You know, so it's not. Um, I haven't got people. I haven't got the kind of people in my life who are like, nah, go on, have a drink, just have one. You know. Mm -hmm. I, that's, I'm, I'm not surrounded by those people anymore. All right. So let's go into the small business guy, the small business mindset that this sort of where we're, we're definitely at. And like if someone, especially, you know, you're the small, small business marketing consultant, you know, you've got, you've got 
your your marketing business and everything like that but as a small business marketing person what would you recommend for people because you know people wake up in the morning their day owning a small business i mean it's relentless i, I remember i would actually be there for 12 to 16 hours a day i would eat whatever was left in the pie warmer uh, you know the dinner would be leftovers we'd be either sitting there waiting for customers or you'd be so flat out that you had no time to do anything else anyway. Mm. And then there'd be, you know, you'd have the the stress over the finances, where's it going to come from? Then all of a sudden you've got famine, you've got flood, you've got, you know, so I mean, one thing for me was I literally had to take, I discovered meditation at that point and mm. I had to stop for 10 minutes and just go and get my head right and then come in and start again because the entire aspect of having a small business is just overwhelming so oh, yeah what would you what would you tell someone out there right now here is the chance to give you the best chance of success just for you i think the absolute i mean okay le leaving aside things like marketing tips and actually just going back to that again locus of control this is this is what i have control over right now even if it's just 10 minutes, take a bit of time for yourself every day and do something. What, uh, what's that show? What was that TV show? There was two seasons of it. It was really weird. Who killed Laura? Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the main character in Twin Peaks in one of the very first episodes, the one before they've got the backwards-talking dwarf, um, he sits there and he says here's the secret to success as a man treat yourself to something every single day it might just be a cup of coffee it might be a new shirt at the men's store but treat yourself to something and i 100 percent agree with that even if it's just 10 minutes take a little bit of time and instead of grabbing your coffee and chugging it down and barely tasting it just take a moment take the lid off the cup give it a sniff and actually be in that moment, even if it's just for 10 minutes. I think that is massive if you're running your own small business. You know what? Mic drop. Boom. I'm not asking any more questions, Tricky. I'm going to leave that there because that shit is gold. Just stop. Enjoy the roses. Take the moment reassess everything and then yeah just get up and everything everything i've found is um my aunt when shit went sideways for me with my business you know she sent me this uh, this quote and it's basically you know the biggest respect in the world is the gladiator down in the base of the auditorium covered in the sweat and the blood of his endeavors you know and he's fighting for his own personal freedom and he's just taken a moment yeah no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to forget once you get started why you got into it in the first place. And there is an element of personal freedom to it. You know? It's very different from being in the nine to five and having a boss who says, why the hell are you sitting there sniffing that coffee? You know, yeah. Why aren't you doing work or whatever? We actually did it for that personal freedom, for the, for the right to take that moment and go, hey, this is just for me. This is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, no, it's absolute gold, Tricky. Thank you very much. No worries, man. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me it on. Seriously, has I'm, I mean, and you're exactly right. I mean, I could just keep going and keep talking because there's just so many aspects. So I actually think I'm gonna we're gonna come back to this at a later date, dude. I would love to actually talk about more about Look, even small business. <laughs> making me talk and air my opinions is something that rarely takes a lot of effort. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I would love to come back at some stage and do another one. That'd be awesome. Fantastic. Thanks, Tricky. I will catch up with you soon. No worries, man. Take it easy. If you'd like to find out more on Tricky, you can find him at www.copybytricky.com, on LinkedIn under Tricky Wheeler, or follow him on Instagram. Look for the handle, Small Business Marketing Guy. Hey everyone who tuned in today, thanks for listening to today's Relax and Enjoy Health podcast. 
I've been your host, Andrew French, for Optimal Health, Wellbeing and Balance. If you want to get the bullet points from today's podcast or even get access to free resources, check us out at relaxenjoyhealth.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or even leave a rating. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Facebook at Relax Enjoy Health. But for now, stay safe. 